Today, our guest Rob Winnings shares valuable insights on how CEOs can effectively assess their strengths and weaknesses to drive personal and organizational growth. From reframing issues into simple questions to fostering trust and vulnerability within teams. We'll uncover practical insights and techniques that leaders can implement to enhance their self-awareness and leadership effectiveness. So my first entrepreneurial venture was a failure. I was seven years old and in Boys Life magazine, I saw uh, an article. You could sell Christmas cards, personalized Christmas cards, and then you could turn around and then turn those points into some sort of gift catalog so you can get this magical gift. So I saw these walkie talkies that I thought would be perfect for my brother and I. So I ordered the kit and started getting these personalized Christmas cards. Not realizing at the time that my neighborhood was 95% Jewish. So as I went around selling Christmas cards, the only one I sold was happy holidays. Because right? the Jewish neighbors thought, okay, I'll help the kid out. And, but regardless of that, I did get enough points to get the walkie-talkie set. And it took three months to arrive. And when it did, the walkie-talkies were attached by a long cord. It was absolutely... <laughs> worthless. So there you go. That was my first entrepreneurial venture at That's the age funny. of seven. That is funny. <laughs> I remember having a VCR that had a remote with a long cord on it too. And just thinking back like that, that, that was really, really convenient, right? Yeah. Then. Yeah, so, exactly. Right. That. But I did do through high school and college, I caddied, but I also had my own painting business with a buddy for a while and, and then worked through college. I got a four-year degree at Marquette University. And then I managed to have a job for almost a year and a half before I met a guy. And I was the oldest of six. And so somewhere along the line, my dad screwed up. And somehow I got a check for my tuition for the semester or something. But it, it was a student loan check. But he had already paid the tuition and forgot it. So I took the money, put it in the bank, said, I'm going to hold on to this for when I need it. Eventually I told him that he said, oh, that's all right. You can keep it. So it was like $12,000 I had. And I used that, invested it into a company with a guy that was a wired cable company that we started. That was a year and a half after I, I graduated. And probably the worst thing that could have happened to me, my first job was with an electric utility, which is about as close to government work as you can get. And it was painful and miserable. And I vowed I would never work for a big company, which was a terrible vow to make, but I did make it. And so it took, I had a year and a half of real world experience before I started my first company with a guy uh, a year and a half after graduating. Then from there, that company went, we struggled for maybe two years, starving. Finally, we started to get some big orders in. We got some big money and a big check came in and he shows up at my house with two brand new cars says, we got to start driving better cars. I was like, are you kidding me? The last thing we need is a new car right now. So that was the beginning of the end for us. He was a fantastic sales guy, worked really hard. So I ended up selling my stake in the business to him and then promptly took that into a technology venture where I lost everything. And that's a whole nother interesting story in itself. And then that led me to talking to my father and we ended up coming together to buy out his partner in the wholesale electric business. 
And I moved back to Cleveland in the, in the mid eighties to, to do that business. So yeah, so I managed to have a few real jobs along the way, but not too many. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I haven't had a real job since I was 22, I think something like that. So okay. it's been 25 years or so. And to talk about some of the ups and downs and how you made it through that, because entrepreneurialism is, is glorified today. There's also the other side to it where most people don't understand everything that you're going through and all the challenges that you're struggling with and making ends meet and all of that ups and downs that an entrepreneur goes through. So talk about how you made it through some of those, those ups and downs. And when you were doing this too, obviously before the internet and all of that, so it was difficult to be able to even find groups of people, groups of entrepreneurs. Do you feel like it was more difficult, more lonely back then, or is it just maybe you didn't even realize any difference? You didn't. Yeah, I was you, pretty ignorant. I have to admit, I would say two, two things that, that struck a chord as you were talking, Matt. One was one thing I probably regret is, is never taking on mentorship in my career. I just, I was a driver, hard worker very positive, optimistic, right? Never took the time to, to talk to people who had been there and done that. And I think had I done that, my career would have, entrepreneurial career may have done better. The other thing that I think was interesting for me was I'm a spiritual person as well, but the elements of faith, not just religious, right? Faith in business is really important. And when do you have the faith in your vision and what you're trying to accomplish? But when does common sense say, no, you got to pull the plug because they're at complete opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Because as soon as you start thinking about a plan B, now you've cut yourself off from plan A to some degree, right? So when do you make that decision and how much faith do you have in the vision you have and how it can, it can succeed? And that was probably one of my biggest struggles all along when all of a sudden things got sour, weren't going well. You're like, okay, maybe we should sell the business. Maybe we should do this instead of just plowing forward. And again, that's probably where that mentorship, where you have people you can trust and come to for advice and they could say, no, it makes sense to continue. So that, that was probably my biggest struggle, but I ended up sticking with it. And we, we had a few rough times. I'm sure you had them, Matt, right? Where it's like payroll's coming and you're like, <laughs> so you have a couple checks on your desk that you just put in your drawer and don't send so you can do payroll. You hope enough money comes in the next week to cover that. Yeah, I think probably just plowing ahead when you're not sure, as long as you're confident that you're going in the right direction, you just keep going forward. Sometimes I'd come in at four in the morning and just try to get stuff done and figure it out. But I can't say I have a magic recipe for how we got through it sometimes. And it was that challenge, balancing faith and practical wisdom, right? The wisdom of the world sometimes says, what are you doing? Get out of that. But I would say driving continually going forward is probably what kept us going, even when sometimes it didn't make sense. And so are you, would you say that you subscribe to the philosophy of burning the ships, right? So that you don't necessarily have a backup plan that's full steam ahead with this? Because I feel with your background, with your upbringing, you probably always had these other things floating around in the back of your mind. I could go and do this. You probably wouldn't take very long to be able to get things established there. But again, like you said, having that fortitude to keep going you know, forward with this. So I'm yeah. curious, again, with your experience, with your background, if it, would you 
say that it's best to keep going forward and not look at any of the other things, the other possibilities, the yeah, other things yeah. that you might have? I would your... say I was definitely a burn the ships kind of guy, right? Yeah. Now, what I'm going to say though is that's good because you just, you're going to go forward, but you need to have a rational safety valve. And I think that's where mentorship, that's what I didn't have. And, but, but I definitely was that way. Everything I've done, I, I could never start something else until I felt what I was doing. I was going to either had an end date, going to terminate it and probably something that hurt me, but I don't mind is that there are very few people in my business career that I can't call up and, and talk to today. I always maintain relationships and sometimes that cost me money. Cause I felt like I, whatever reason I felt this is the right way to do it. And other people might say, no, you don't have to do that to that guy. It's just business. So I'm proud of the fact that the great majority of people I've ever worked with, I still have a relationship with, but in some ways that, that may have hurt me, but I always said, I'd rather trust people and occasionally get burned. That's been my entire life, not trusting people. Yeah. That's a great so, philosophy. It, yeah. What, what would you say is your, I guess your you know, relationship, you know, building type of vice or the way that you, you know, build relationships, both from a networking perspective to be able to get into new opportunities and meeting people and then building and growing that relationship so that it does become fruitful uh, after some time. I'm curious your perspective. Yeah. It's interesting. One of my favorite things, like I start a new company or I join, they hire me as a CEO of a new company and Oftentimes I didn't know a lot about the industry. I knew enough to be dangerous, but not a lot. And I always looked forward to that first trade show where you go to that trade show, you walk around all the booths and you could feign ignorance because you were, Hey, tell me about what you do. How does that work? And, and so I love doing that. And I did a lot of it and I used to think I was just lucky, but it just, after a while, all of a sudden, oh, Hey, Bill does this. And. Nancy does that and Sam does that and we come together, we can do this and it would really work well. So I just had a knack for putting the pieces together, but I think it started relationships and it started by being inquisitive, respectful, and always to some degree, when possible, add value to the person you're talking to. And eventually it all came together. So that was uh, probably the way I did it. Cause I, I, I pulled together some really interesting deals in my career and Maybe it was just the universe aligned properly, but I think also taking time to nurture those relationships uh, work. Yeah. And I feel like that's a good segue into what you're doing now, um, which you know, is you know, being a Vistage chair and that. And for those of those in the audience who don't know what Vistage is, explain that really quick. Sure, sure. Vistage is the largest uh, organization of support for CEOs in the world, over 65,000 members. And I was a member of that group about 25 years ago. When I was a young CEO when I was in that wholesale business, trying to figure some things out. It, it had a great impact on me. And the biggest value that Vistage brings is the process of working with CEOs to solve difficult issues. I've been trained now on how to work with a large group and create questioning environment where we spend time really diving into what is the issue, what's the core problem there, and then getting solutions from all the people at the table to suggest how to overcome that. And that's the biggest value. Vistage has a bunch of other cool things that they bring to the table. CEOs 
are in a difficult spot because oftentimes when you're at the top of the food chain, vulnerability is not like on the top of your list of things you need to be, right? That you need to be the one who's making decisions and being hard. But oftentimes our own weaknesses, we start to, we can't see them because we have to be, I've always said, I used to work with some doctors and I vowed never to do it again, especially surgeons. Because when a surgeon is in the OR, whatever they say, right or wrong, everyone does exactly what they say. And after a while, they start to think, hey, I'm the, I'm the smartest guy here. I, so when they get into their private life, all of a sudden they start making decisions and someone questions them, they don't like it. We all fall into that trap. And when you're at the top of the food chain, thinking that we have all the answers. So what this just does is allow someone to break away from that environment and with a group of peers who have no other goal other than to help you become better, they'll tell you what you need to hear where your employees may not tell you that. And that's when you really start solving problems, when a CEO can see his own weakness and why he's having trouble making the decision. And then the group shares with him why it is. And then he needs to overcome that weakness and then make an important decision that will affect his life and his business. So it's really been a fascinating journey for me uh, for the last about 18 months now I've been involved with Vistage. It's really been fun. Yeah, that's awesome. What are some strategies or exercises that a, a business owner, CEO, leader might be able to take on or, or start practicing in their own life to be able to be a little bit more aware of those types of problems? Are they, are they projecting themselves into situations in a very controlling, stern type of way, right? Can they identify, maybe I am doing this, maybe I am hurting my other relationships or I'm not as open as what I should be to the other employees in my company. Are there any exercises mm -hmm. or anything that comes to mind that might be able to allow them to do some self-reflection, to be able to see, do they have these types of issues or? The only thing I'm thinking of, Matt, part of our issue processing is the first thing we do, say you've got some sort of issue that you want to bring to the group, right? And the easiest thing for us to say, Matt, tell us about it. And then you'd ramble on for five minutes about what the issue is, but we may not thoroughly understand what the issue is. And be honest, you may not thoroughly understand what the issue is. So what we say always is first thing is put it in the form of this question. How do I blank? How do I do this? How do I accomplish whatever it is? And by forcing yourself to take that issue and put it into a simple question as to how do I, and, and maybe it turns out to be three, how do I questions, but now you start to see what is the question that I really need to answer it and understand it as opposed to everything gets jumbled and, and the long explanation of what the issue is. So that's one, one thing. That's not the best way though, because I think what you're asking more about is how can a CEO learn about his strengths and weaknesses in particular, right? Is there something that they can do? And where we find that value mostly in this stage is by having people that you build trust with and confidence, right? And confidentiality. Right. And until you have that level of trust, you can't be vulnerable. Right. So the, the first thing there's a great, uh, Covey's son wrote that book. Have you ever read the speed of trust? No, uh -uh. it's a great book. And he talks about how, when the, the executive level or any team has a high level of trust amongst themselves, the speed with which they accomplish things is much faster. So building that level of trust. Uh, it was funny, my, my brother was telling me the other day, he works at a restaurant and the owner every month or two decides to come in and just really just pairs into the staff and thinks that they just need a good butt kick to get them motivated. 
And there's no trust. Everyone's like, okay, I, I can't do anything because I don't want the owner to hear something about me. And so a lot of stuff doesn't happen. So building that trust amongst your team members, I think it would be a good. Yeah. And I, as you were saying that too, I've known leaders that there's the graphic of what type of leader are you? The one who's riding on top of everyone's shoulders, cracking the whip, or are you the leader that's out front running, pointing, this is the direction that we're going, right? I I feel like there's a lot of people that don't understand how by being demanding and being on top of people, how demoralizing and how just uninspiring they are to the morale of everyone around them. And it's obviously stifling the business, but they feel like it's my way or the highway. So uh, yeah. again, another thing to, to look out for if, if you're that type of person. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and on the other hand, just to screw up the conversation, uh, I'm reading Elon Musk's biography, which is fascinating right now. Now that's, he was, he's not a nice guy. The same thing with, who was the Apple guy? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. Now, they were not fun people to work for, but they achieved incredible things, mm. right? But in what is the good to great, great book there, right? And yeah. the, the, the first characteristic of a, was what he called a level five leader. And he looked at these organizations that had outperformed the stock indexes, outperformed their competitors, at least five to one, unbelievable success, right? And the first thing they said was a humble servant leader because the Lee, the Jap Welshes, as soon as those guys left the organization, they fell off. So these guys had the humility to build a long-term organization of team that trusts each other. So in the long-term, I think that L5 leader is good, great calls. It is really the, the key to long-term success. Yeah. You know, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I feel like let's make a, a jump here to what we had talked about before, where we dive into your things that you feel are the highest ROI activities for you in your life. Right. And again, some people go the personal route with this. Other people, they stick to business. I'm curious, when you look at your life, your daily routines and whatnot, what would you say is your highest ROI activities that you engage in? Yeah, uh, I guess I, I don't need to share, but I will. This is a relatively new development. A few years ago, I started doing this because have you ever done the, the Strength Finder? Oh yeah, yeah, right? a bunch of them. Yeah, okay, yeah. good, yeah. So I'm an activator. One of my things, which means like I'm a go get it done work. Even though I have a, a strong strategic element, I'm a go just driving all the time. And what I discovered recently, we're talking about high ROI activities, right? What I do now is I used to take complicated situations and just start solving it and just diving into it. But now what I do is I write myself a, a letter, like I'm writing a letter to the board saying, here's the issue I'm dealing with. I, I do an overview and I do formal titles like with a different font, or here's the overview of the situation and here's the options that are available. And I write this report to basically to myself. But what I've discovered, at least for me, because I'm so scattered and active oriented, that taking that time to really concretely express what is the key issue we're trying to solve, what are we trying to do? And then having it Forcing myself to put it into this template really has been incredibly helpful. And for me, very difficult because I feel much better making 10 phone calls and, you know, closing a couple of small deals than saying, Hey, here's a big problem that will drive the, the strategy of the company for the next three years. When you're done with that document, 
I, I didn't get that level of satisfaction that I did when I just closed a deal or, or got an order or whatever it was. So I've been learning painfully. I think these are what successful people do early on. They learn that those high ROI activities, right? The important and urgent need to be mostly the important, what's important and, and how do I get to it? And so writing these reports has really been a cool thing for me. I, I was with a guy the other day and, and we're talking and I said, oh, let me, I pulled out. He goes, what's that? He goes, is that like a term paper or something? I said, no, it's actually a, something I wrote to myself. He goes, let me see that. And he was just like, wow, sometimes I even put like a table of contents on it, which is ridiculous. Now you're getting ridiculous. But anyway, so it's, it's a fun exercise, not fun, but a useful exercise, at least for me. Yeah, that's, so that's really interesting. Have you ever heard uh, Jeff Bezos talk about doing something very similar to this? No. So I actually, through, through the, the local company that we both know in the, the POP space, I've actually gotten to participate in uh, a couple of these. So basically the way that Amazon does their, their meetings at, at a certain level is they will, whoever is called the meeting will create what they call a memo. And this memo is very well-crafted, thought out, a, a very well-structured document, and basically for the first 20, 30 minutes, everyone just comes in and reads the memo to be able to get apprised of the situation. And then everyone is on the same level playing field right. to be able to you know, have intelligent conversation about whatever that topic is. And this is something that like Jeff, I, I remember seeing he was interviewed relatively recently about this. And he said that it could take you two, three, four weeks to write a memo. This was not just something that was put together in 20 minutes. Right, this was a right. very, very detailed, thought out, structured document that they, that's the way that Amazon has run their business for many years. And it, yeah, well, it's it makes sense too. Are they really successful at Amazon? Really? Yeah. Like they're taking over the world, right? Minor little company there. But yeah, no. So that's exactly the way that they did exactly what you're talking about, but also brought in the team. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Part of that as well, bringing everybody up to, to speed. Yeah. So that's interesting. That's the way that you would approach things. What? So when you would go through and think about these things, think about these problems, these issues, whatever it might be, did there, was there always uh, a focus on a specific type of issue that you, and I'm not even quite sure how I want to phrase this, but was there always, did there always seem to be, I don't know, maybe a specific department or a specific yeah, thing yeah. or innovation well, no, I, or yeah i would say they fall into maybe three categories right one thing i prided myself on was was innovation so when you're in the industry segment right and you're i'm a big eos guy as well right so when you're trying to figure out what is your niche and what is what are you trying to accomplish with your company what, what makes what gives you competitive advantage right how do you look at that environment? Say, okay, what's there and what are we really good at? And what problem am I trying to solve? How do I make myself? So that's one area that, that sometimes would be helpful because it just allows you to put it all down on paper and here's our strengths, like a mini SWOT analysis, perhaps. And that's one. Sometimes it's just complex operational stuff that it's like when you play chess, I can only think two moves, maybe if I'm lucky, three moves into the future, right? But if you have a complex operational thing, my brain just can't handle all of it. So I have to put it all down on paper to make sense. And otherwise it all starts mixing together and that solutions get difficult. So I'd say complicated operational issues might be the third. And then I think on a personal side, 
it's been interesting for me just to start laying out again, I'm at a different stage of my life now. What am I trying to accomplish? And I've noticed a couple interesting things in my life. Growing up, I had an interesting childhood as a result of some of those. Well, I don't need to go into why, but I'm definitely a, uh, have a fear of confrontation. I'm the super build the team guy. Uh, I always fire people way too slowly. And I had this fear of confrontation. And that oftentimes affected my decision-making. When I should have made an important decision that involved confrontation and I didn't, I delayed the success of the organization because I didn't want to deal with that. So that's always been a, something that I've dealt with, but there's other weaknesses. And so when you find yourself stuck on something and you don't know why the pieces aren't coming together, then that's when I feel like I got to sit down and say, okay, what's going on here? What, why am I frustrated? Why? And then you just, I start writing it all down again and start trying to, to filter that. And I've been going through that now is that I'm going through a life change. I've been running companies and starting companies for many years. And now I'm in the business of helping CEOs help each other. It's a very different model and I'm not supposed to be the problem solver. So I'm trying to figure out what does that mean for my life? So those are the three, I'd say innovation, complicated operational things, and then crazy personal stuff where you're trying to get your life in order. Those are the, the three times I like to use that technique to, to help me sort through it. Yeah. And what does the output look like for you? I, when you were first talking about this, I was envisioning more of a document. Again, you said there's Sometimes you'll even do a table of contents and all of that, but then you got into some of the operational side of things. So is this more of a mind map type thing that sometimes depends on the issue, right? But oftentimes it may start is like a mind mapping exercise. So we are drawing, but then once I start thinking about it, then I go to a word document with titles. And I always start with overview, which is the overview is always overkill because it's just, okay, I'm going to clearly define what problem am I trying to solve and what are the, and why am I confused about getting to a solution? That's always the overview. But yeah, oftentimes it will start with mind mapping and where you're just drawing the different circles and how things come together and fit eventually. And then sometimes I would put it into a PowerPoint. I got pretty good at drawing circles and arrows that would point like mm -hmm. a draw, like flow maps that, that says, so sometimes that can work too. Yeah. Yeah. You made me think guy. of. Yeah, you, you made me think of uh, a, another exercise that we use as well in the in the software side of things when you were talking about some of the frameworks that you are using to, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but you were talking about the, the CEO and uh, understanding, are they doing this the right way or whatever it was. Anyway, the saying goes to be able to put yourself into these various different positions you would say, as the blank, I should be able to blank so that I can blank. So it's yeah, yeah. as the CEO, I should be able to understand where the sales are at any one time so that I can make the right decision. So again, it's just a great framework to be able to maybe put that, that thing that you can't necessarily understand or see into a nice context that aligns with this is the person. This is what they should be able to do. And this is why they want to be able to do it. So that's a nice way to be able to some of well, those. Those are great. Those little techniques similar in EOS would really help me was it would always be like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? The problem I'm trying to solve is, and again, it's like this other thing with the CEO, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. Right? Because when you have to use that concise language, it forces you to think through and clarify what you're trying to do. Yeah. Those are very helpful. Those devices. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. 
Yeah, this is, I, I feel like this is a, a topic that I can, obviously entrepreneurialism, it's in my blood. It's a topic that I can go on and on about. So yeah, um, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to learn more about you or what you're into or anything like that, how would they get in touch or how would they learn? More? I'm looking to create a, a website for myself, but right now my Vistage, my, my LinkedIn profile tells me who I am and what I'm doing. And I, I have a very narrow market right now. Most of uh, the CEOs and my group are, you know, the smallest one is 5 million and the biggest one right now is about 150 million in annual revenue. But I would easily take a $2 million entrepreneur who's aggressive and has a plan and willing to grow. So the CEOs of those size companies, that, that's a smaller market, even though there are thousands of them in that thousands. Yeah, maybe yeah, a couple thousand in Northeast Ohio. Yeah, you know, I would think so. Somebody's that size. Yeah. So that's my, that's my target market now. And, and then you take that market and you say, who are the ones that are number one, truly interested in growing their businesses? But understanding that in order to do that, they have to grow themselves. And then are they willing to be humble and vulnerable in a group to add value? So now you've taken that universe, you start to narrow it down. And like you, Matt, you fit in perfectly. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So uh, actually, you made me think of something real quick here, too. We've been talking all this whole time about you know, CEOs and growing them. And it's really a lot of interpersonal work that you have to do. And I'm curious... How much do you feel is more tactical type of advice where here's the strategy, this thing that you can go and do and implement as opposed to, again, more of the, again, the interpersonal type work, right? Do, do you feel like, and where I'm going with this is there's all of this new technology that's coming out and making things easier, all the AI things, right? So all of that is very tactical. And I'm curious how you feel the tactics is are tactics more important than a lot of the interpersonal work or is it yeah. does it seem like one is higher than the other i guess maybe in in your focus yeah and, yeah and with your well, groups and uh, all that. i'm not sure i like the word interpersonal but i would say this tactical no right it's all about self-analysis and figuring out really at the end of the day if there's a if there's a what i've seen I've only been doing this for a year and a half now, but it seems to be a consistent pattern. When an issue is stuck at the CEO level, okay, many times there's an element of the CEO that's the problem as well as the problem itself. And I give the terrible example of the guy who comes in and says, hey, sales are off. And we keep talking about it and talking about it. And what it really is, his son-in-law is the VP of sales and he can't fire him. That's the real problem, right? So it's really getting to... I can't tell you how many times you're like, oh, this is really complicated. And we drill through it. And at the end of the day, it's, I'm just, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid to do that. And it's amazing. So it's all about allowing CEOs to find out where are their weaknesses and, and how can they overcome them? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just out of curiosity, how, what would you do? Is it, is it always a, if there's some kind of a blocker, I don't want to do that. There's something that might involve, like you said, some other family member you've got to make a decision to remove that family member or what have you. Is that pushing through that? Is that basically the direction that a lot of, uh, a lot of times that advice would go or are there other strategies, maybe re replacing him or removing him or putting him into a different department? Or I'm just curious. And I guess yeah, it probably well, is very situational too. But yeah, I'm just it's situational, but the, here's the beauty of it is when you've got 12 other CEOs in the room, at least two or three of them have been through something similar. Yeah. They, and they can say, I did this, it was a disaster. So whatever you do, 
don't do this. <laughs> the other guy will say, hey, here's what I did. And it worked out really well. I was able to move them to another department or another guy said, look, I had this conversation with him. It was a very difficult conversation and we had to make a difficult decision. So you get all sorts, it's very situational, but the beauty of having multiple minds in the group gives you that, those options. So you can find out what's the best ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and accountability, yeah. right? If not, I, if you take up the time of 12 other CEOs in the room, okay, now you have to come back and say, okay, look at, I appreciate the advice you gave me. I like this advice. I'm going to do it by this date because your own employees are necessarily going to hold you accountable to a date with these guys will. So that's the other part of it is you, once you get the advice, you got to perform. Yeah. And I imagine too, when you're in that situation where there's something that feels uncomfortable, a lot of times it's the other person is probably just as uncomfortable in that position also, maybe removing them and putting them in a different Absolutely. position. Yeah. Is yeah. yeah. Something I learned a long time ago is that, that person isn't performing. What, I heard a great example. What was it the other day? Oh, I know what it was. We we're doing an exercise with our CEOs and the guy says, he goes, okay, now I want everyone to sign your name with your non-dominant hand. Okay. So try that, right? Matt Shields, are you right-handed or left-handed, Matt? I'm right-handed, yeah. Right. All right, so right Matt Shields, your left-handed. Okay. And say, now pretend this is your job, man. How happy are you just struggling to write your name, right? Or whatever it is, right? So if you're not in the right seat, you're not happy. And ultimately, you need to, to move and, and go somewhere where your skills are better utilized. And uh, I've discovered for myself that's something, you're ultimately doing that person a favor 